Hello, Jamie here. Just letting you know that Community Notice Board has a Patreon now. That's right. We have bonus episodes for our loyal fans. $5 a month gets you two bonus episodes. And oh boy, we've had some doozies in the last couple of months. We just had one of our favorite guests, Alexi Toliopoulos, come on to talk all about video stores and his time working there. And coming up, we have favorite guest and former room runner of Cactus Juice with me, Jamie Kirk, uh, talking about the history of Sydney open mic comedy and our tenure as runners of the best Sydney open <laughs> mic that ever existed. But My notes want, here say the best. Uh. <laughs> if you want to hear about that and all sorts of stuff, including other news stories that we haven't got to do, deep dives onto things, and let us know if there is anything that you would like us to cover, hop over to patreon.com slash community notice board and subscribe for only $5 a month. It's good listening, baby. Hello and welcome along to the Community Notice Board. Hello, welcome to another episode of Community Notice Board, a podcast about suburbs we grew up in, local landmarks, hometown heroes, and coming-of-age tales. Oh, baby, it's time to continue the Underbelly series, and for the first time, we have thought it fit to bring on a guest to talk about all our true crime and mafia needs with us. We've got a returning (laughs) champion, mafioso himself, the the capo of comedy, Jacob Lingard, is here. Hey fellas! <laughs> <laughs> a lot hey. of build up, a lot of build up for uh, <laughs> a lot of pressure on that uh, that intro there. Joking. Trying to trying to create a good boy persona all these years <laughs> that, that I know I was held in. Hard to do when fear. you have a gun constantly. <laughs> God, I wish. Ways for him. I wish, man. Man, comedy would be so much easier if you could carry a gun. I've been saying that for years. <laughs> hey, hey, I was good. You I know. just even like the idea of like you're bombing and like you just peel back like your coat and you've got a pistol with a gun. <laughs> that was a good joke. <laughs> They're like, yes, it was. Have you seen the footage I did of a set with a gun in my hand the whole time? What? Is the most electric real? I've ever felt on stage. Is that a real thing? Yeah. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. A real gun? Or a real gun? No, it was just like a, a plated sort of like... Metal cap okay, gun, right. but realistically, yeah, I did a whole set about how I should, I deserve a gun with a gun, <laughs> pointing it at people when they didn't laugh. No, it, people aren't going to disagree with you about whether you deserve to have a gun while you have a gun. I yeah, feel. Totally. You feel electric, man. They're like, yeah, man, sure, you should it's, have that. It's the most respect I've ever felt on stage, <laughs> at, ever. Actually, I yeah. think even on the train there, I had the, I had the gun with me. And I just had it down my pants because I didn't have a bag or anything. Yeah. So I just had it down the front of my pants. And I felt like God the whole <laughs> ride. It's like if something kicks off, I'm still pretty sure I could do something with this. I was that would actually, say, yeah. well, yeah. like it's weird. Uh, in my head, I'm like, man, it's weird that an audience member would just give Jacob that and he riffs with it. You brought the gun. <laughs> yeah, you planned this. <laughs> he wasn't whose line is it anyway. <laughs> like, but that, but that, that's an carry. interesting, I mean, it is an interesting point. At what point were you like, did the gun come first or the material come first? Uh, I think it's just a it's a colliding of worlds. You know, do you do, it's kind of like the secret, like you will it yeah. and it happens. <laughs> I wanted a gun, so I got one. <laughs> okay. Can you understand like American gun nuts now? Like, don't take my gun away. Like, yeah, absolutely. You feel that power? Absolutely. Yeah, of course. I can imagine. I was looking at guns the other day. <laughs> <laughs> 
They're so cool. <laughs> I mean, literally. Look at are you talking about the messages you sent me in particular? Yeah, yeah. Because we've been reading these private detective novels and being oh, like, you oh, guys are so uh, they've got Dick like, Tracy. This yeah, yeah. So they've got like uh, cotton sports coats that they used to cover their Dan Wesson. And then Drew sent me a message being like, this is what I imagined my Dan Wesson would look like. <laughs> this is beautiful revolver with like a like brown leather yeah. like handle. Mm. Drew will like, be like that's fucking a sexy gun. shoot himself like Cheddar Bob. You can just know him with fucking 100% as soon as he gets this thing. Bang! Oh no! How to take me to the hospital? I bought a blazer for Drew's wedding and just to wear to be a private detective and immediately I was like Maybe I should just look up what a shoulder holster would look like <laughs> underneath <laughs> the coat. Oh, my God. <laughs> Try it out. You don't know. Yeah. yeah oh, you might can you like imagine it. if I just had the empty shoulder holster? And it's and it's, then if I got a gun? Too. And it's it's a holster. It's not a gun. You can put anything in there. Yeah. <laughs> I got I got two <laughs> TV baguettes remote in there. Two, two baguettes filled with three in there. <laughs> <laughs> I was this like, is, I've never I'm, felt more powerful. <laughs> I've never seen Queer Eye, but I'm pretty sure this is what it's all about. You know, taking the risks to find the look that brings out the best you exactly. yeah and if that's it exactly. <laughs> like, you got to have a gun <laughs> Tan, it's the most Tan, powerful thing in the world Tan's going to Jamie we need a holster for your baguettes Jamie <laughs> <laughs> Jamie your baguettes are everywhere my friend we need to get you a holster so they don't spill brie all over your vest <laughs> oh shit Fuck, man. should we crack into one of these fucking stories man because well, we, we, we said we're, we're Brizzy Brisbane. right we're doing we're Brisbane, Brisbane underbelly, underbelly. And we brought Jacob as a Brisbane boy, I guess. He's still my maroon heart. Let's <laughs> do it. <laughs> and um, you, because you like, you know, you've, you lived there, obviously you grew up um, and you were telling me that on the periphery of your life, there's been some riffraff, let's say. Oh uh, yeah. Depending on where you go. Like, I mean, I grew up on like farms in the country and stuff mm -hmm. and there's a very like, I remember there were just some characters around there that sort of, uh, pre-Yellowstone were like living their own cowboy fantasies you know like we handle our own justice <laughs> yeah. and shit but then there was also like just people associated with like my granddad's friendship group and stuff like that they were just renowned for stealing there was one particular <laughs> man they were just like that's Arnold he's a thief <laughs> and you, that's how you knew him it's just it's written old, on his business card this mm -hmm. old guy gets around in the shortest of shorts in a blue ute and he steals. Fuck yeah. And he steals like <laughs> shit that you wouldn't even think of stealing. Like there's this story of him like driving into like a Telstra yard and just kind of like bluffing his way through, just confidence the whole way. Mm -hmm. And then just chainsawing a telephone pole <laughs> and then taking the timber and selling it. Fuck. <laughs> and just, like I have no idea what the gains are on that. Yeah. The risk to reward <laughs> seems so very unbalanced. All the things to steal to yeah. timber. timber. As, uh, yeah. The weight to like everything yeah. about it is very inconvenient. Yeah, blagging your way into Fort Knox and being like, I guess I'll steal a mug from a guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All the bullion is in it right there. Yeah. This mug could go well on eBay. There we go. That is nuts. It'd be cool to have like a repurposed coffee table made out of an old telephone pole yeah, i mean, mean why is hanging out of it <laughs> <laughs> yeah we could also just you know pull an atm out of the wall and have all the money <laughs> of that you know i feel like that's a lot I easier could. man could i i learned the other day that i might be the dumbest person when it comes <laughs> to crime because someone i was talking to my boss about ram rating and i was like it's so dumb man because like you you ran you run into an atm or you run into a convenience store you rob it and then the first thing you got to do is buy a new car because you've just fucked yours and he's like Jacob, they steal the car. <laughs> 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 oh, 
Because I was trying to unpack this on stage for ages and it never worked. And I'm like, oh, I'm just the dumbest guy. And so just we, can see, we can see the seeds forming of, I should take a gun on stage. Yeah. <laughs> Why aren't you liking this ram rate bit? I'd shoot you if I could. Yeah. I love the idea of Jacob driving into a smash repair with an ATM just wasting <laughs> in front of his bumper bar. And he's like, oh, I don't know, man. Yeah, I thought, it, I thought like, I thought, because, you know, crime tends to be like a kind of like a cyclical thing. You sort yeah. of get stuck in the wheel of it. And I thought ram rating was most clearly evident of that because, yeah, you smash your car steal the money, you buy a new you car, a new car yeah. and you need another score. You just keep yeah, going until yeah, yeah, yeah. finally maybe one day you hit that big score. <laughs> yeah. But it's a cashless society now. I don't know what you're getting out of a Ram Raid, really. You're getting like red licorice and cigarettes, <laughs> telephone <laughs> poles. I mean, it sounds, you say it sounds dumb. I guarantee <laughs> if we looked up dumbest Ram Raids Australia, oh. we'd find a ton that was like, and he didn't count on the fact that he was using his own car. So, yeah. so there was a guy, uh, it wasn't Brisbane, but it, I think it was Ipswich or one of the one of the cities we did. I don't know if we talked about it, but I saw it. It was a guy who stole a uh, uh, a Caterpillar like tractor, like, um, you know, massive big tractor mm-hmm. and used that to steal motorbikes. And so he like, <laughs> but yeah. then the cops- like giant claw machine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like he had these motorbikes or whatever. And then the cops turned up while he had the tractor. So he went on a high speed chase in the tractor uh, because he didn't have another plan B. Yeah. So he's driving and he went on the train tracks in this tractor. <laughs> not, and, really, uh, not really a high speed chase. Yeah, yeah, driving yeah. a tractor. Right, literally. 30k an hour. You, you, can, you can't even like duck into a garage or anything. No, you can't. Like, so like, yeah, just yeah, paint yeah. the tractor yeah. a different color. <laughs> drive your tractor into a car park and drive out with a different tractor. <laughs> yeah, I'll never know. Uh, so I, who's who should start us off? Because I got I think Kirky's got, got a good classic. Start, yeah, this is a this is a pretty famous one. It's the uh, whiskey a go go fire. Ooh, nineteen seventy seven. Seventy three. Yeah, nice. So March eighth, nineteen seventy three, the whiskey a go go nightclub in Fortitude Valley Valley was firebombed, resulting in the deaths of 15 patrons and staffs. It was a busy night in the venue. The assortment of patrons was widespread. Father and son celebrating the purchase of their first home. Military personnel enjoying a night off. Musicians, locals, young women. Weird. Uh, and more. All now <laughs> they scar- were young women yeah, there? Yeah, yeah. What's going on? Not in my Brisbane. <laughs> uh, so this, at the time, was Australia's worst mass killing before Port Arthur unfortunately took it over mm-hmm. uh and as police would start a major investigation and it would drag in some of brisbane's most well-known criminals gangsters bosses and violent offenders but the investigation would also expose police and political corruption with a group of officers potentially using the fire to help some club owners cash in it says back in the 70s fortitude valley was brisbane's answer to sydney's king's cross its reputation was seedy, and there were plenty of nightclubs. I was in Fortitude Valley like two, three months ago. Mm-hmm. You can see it. Like, I like oh, absolutely. that absolutely. But also, like, mm. Fortitude Valley is holding firm. Like, it's still a good place to go out, whereas King's Cross is a fucking... Yeah. Mm. It just, but it has... Gen- I think it has... Oh, it's been, cl- it's been cleaned up massively. Cleaned up, but not in a... The, the, the crossways cleaned up as in they've just shut everything down and put residents yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas Fortitude's cleaned up in like a... But it's still like it, you can go out and a, party a, there. A, a nightclub. Yeah. Well, yeah. But Entertainment strip, right? You can still get your head caved in. Yeah. But yeah. now it's under like some nice like artistic lighting. And <laughs> <laughs> the pavement's a little smoother and for you to bash your fucking skull on. It says, in the lead up to the fire at Whiskey A Go-Go, there had been other firebombing incidences throughout Fortitude Valley restaurants and clubs, and they're all believed to be gang-related. 
so the fire began with the ignition of two 23-liter drums of diesel fuel in the building's foyer. The drums were thrown into the foyer, then ignited by a lit, lit torch thrown through the open door. The burning diesel sent carbon monoxide up to the club's main room on the first floor. The only escape route was the rear stairs, which were poorly signposted and cluttered with crates of bottles. 15 people died of asphyxiation as they struggled to open the escape doors because there were bottles of beer there. Yeah. Uh, there are reports of around 50 to 100 patrons, bar staff and entertainers in the club at the time of ignition. Many escaped by jumping from broken windows onto an awning and dropping 15 feet to the ground. And so there's this guy, Matthew Condon, and he's the host of another podcast. You don't need to listen to that, though. Nah, uh, uh, which, we'll dives, which dives into the case probably much more thorough than this because I'm quoting an article quoting him. <laughs> 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 but I cannot stress enough, you do not need to listen to it. This will cover it and we'll get some riffs out, not, maybe. Not, not to get too far ahead, but uh, all my research came from a book by Matthew Condon. <laughs> so oh, really? He's really sponsoring this episode of the Damn, this dude knows oh, damn. you should ask him if he wants to do it. Oh, I'd love to. Uh, anyway, uh, he says there was a witness. Uh, her name was Catherine Potter. She was outside the venue when the attack occurred. She alleges she looked over to the entrance of Whiskey A Go-Go and Kath claims that she saw a black vehicle pull up, three men get out, two of the men get the drums of fuel out of the car and then suddenly flames everywhere. Police later told an inquest that she reported what she saw to the police the next day, but around a week later, officers came to her home and asked her to rectify how many men she reportedly saw. She claimed they call her a liar and tried to make her change her statement. So this is where um, people start to claim maybe there's some corrupt policemen involved in this thing. In the 70s in Brisbane? <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. all right. Oh. Now I've heard everything. Uh, within 72 hours of the attack, two known criminals named John Stewart and James Finch were charged for the incident. It says both were convicted of murder but claimed they were innocent, saying they were verbaled by police and convicted based on false convictions allegedly beaten out of them. The jury found that the fire was lit as part of an extortion terror campaign aimed at Brisbane nightclub operators. So this guy, uh, John Stewart, not the Daily Show host, <laughs> um, he died in jail in 1979. Uh, Finch was released from prison in 1988 and then immediately deported back to England. In the UK, he uh, confessed to the crime Actually, to the Sun newspaper. This is so funny. And he uh, said that he tipped two drums of fuel into the doorway of the nightclub building before the fire blowing. Finch was supposed to give evidence at a recent inquiry but died in 2021. Uh, it says, although these two men were charged and convicted of the fire bombing, rumours remain that there were more people behind the deadly attack. Uh, so recently a new generation of police found the actual transcript of the trial was missing a critical bunch of papers. The section that involved the prosecution questioning police over the initial investigation just vanished. So that's all gone. Mm -hmm. uh, so that points to an attempt by someone at some point to try and break the breadcrumb trail and make it more complicated for people at a later date to work out what actually happened. There's hundreds of those sorts of situations flying around the issue of Whiskey A Go-Go. In 2017, Queensland gangsters Vince O'Dempsey and Gary Shorty Dubois were convicted <laughs> of the murders of another gangster's wife and two daughters in 1974. During the court proceedings for them, the judge that there was available evidence that suggested the wife knew who had taken part and organized the fire at Whiskey A Go Go. The judge believes this was why she and her daughters were murdered by the two gangsters to keep them quiet. Shorty. What year was that? It? 
This is in 2017, but the murder was in 1974. Oh, right, right, yeah, sure. Uh, so Odem- O'Dempsey said he had nothing to do with the whiskey firebombing. Both O'Dempsey and Dubois were sentenced to jail for life over three the three murders of those people. Mm-hmm. The next day after the convictions, the Queensland Attorney General announced a fresh inquest into the whiskey tragedy. For many, they believed that there were others higher in the criminal pecking order who organised the firebombing, including corrupt police. For the survivors of the firebombing, they've been looking for answers for decades now. In 2021 and 2022, uh, we saw the inquest take place into the Whiskey A Go Go fire, trying to garner further answers as to exactly what went down, when it went down, and why it went down. The findings are yet to be handed down. Um, but it says that there would be evidence suggesting a considerable number of people other than Stuart and Finch were actually responsible for the fire. Uh, So people are saying that the story is pretty much bogus from the start. Mm -hmm. Uh, Were there meant to be 15 people in Whiskey A Go Go who were supposed to die or were they just in the wrong place at the wrong time? Did it's hard it go- to target with a fire, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. not the most precise assassination. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, friendly fire. It's just yeah. like, yeah, maybe we'll get one guy by throwing two full drums of diesel fuel yeah, into a, a nightclub. Let's bomb a nightclub on a Saturday night. There shouldn't be anyone around. Come on, it's nighttime. What's everyone still here for? Um, I think this also reformed like fire safety because the place was like, uh, like reviewed as like a death trap essentially. Like yeah. there was all these problems with like one exit, and also the exit was heavily greased, <laughs> which was a problem. For a fun, like, home alone <laughs> yeah. <style>. yeah. <laughs> no, because they used to store, like, the old kitchen grease outside right. in, like, the in that, in that sort of alleyway. So that, and then when people were rushing out, they knocked it over. So now you got people on fire, slipping Slip. and sliding in a bunch of canola. Uh, you just need like, some Australia's Funniest Home Video style yeah. sound effects. It's like <laughs> Takeshi's <laughs> Castle or something like that. The Benny Hill theme playing. <laughs> oh, 15 people died. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, but so, yeah, anyone, anytime there's a death and it's purely from smoke inhalation, then it's clearly something like went wrong in the escape route. Yeah, exactly, you know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. So that's... But yeah, so yeah. there's there's still an inquest going, and the questions. So, so they know. So those two guys did it, yeah. and they're the guys that did it. But they're trying to find out who like orchestrated Put them up to it. it. Is that Stuart, is that the question? Stuart and Finch is so funny. That Finch dude, he went on UK television and was like, "I did it," and admitted to it. But mm-hmm. then they reminded him on the show. They were like, "You know, this is still like an open investigation. You were tried for one murder. There's still fourteen still to be like." Yeah. Decided, yeah. and he immediately was like, "Yeah, actually, I'm a bit hazy." On <laughs> <laughs> walked it back in real time. The other dude, the other dude, John Stewart, he was actually like one of the first people to be guilty without being in court, and it's because Ooh. he kept swallowing things. <laughs> he kept swallowing bits of metal while he Just was get in jail and shit. So he, like he would have to go to the hospital and oh. they'd have to do like stomach surgery. He's swallowing like paper clips and shit like that. Damn. Just over and over again. And they got sick of it. And I'm like, fuck it, guilty. He's swallowing like a padlock and a lock yeah. and yeah. bringing it back up. <laughs> it's unlocked. Dude's trying to eat his own handcuffs. That's awesome, man. Fuck. So yeah, they still don't uh, completely know what's going on with it. and mm. uh, But I think it involves some characters that ended up coming down to Sydney as well. People that we've yeah. covered in our All the Brisbane, yeah. all the big Brisbane people come to Sydney eventually. Well, like that. <laughs> <laughs> all the criminals up yeah. there are like, I got to get out of this scene, actually. Yeah, yeah. It's Sydney. either Sydney or <laughs> well, uh, the extortion threats were based on it, like I think they made the threat of like we're gonna bomb a, an empty an empty club and a full club 
and it was like an extortion attempt and they were like using like mentions of like bigger Sydney based crime syndicates mm. as the threat bases yeah, okay. right, and right, then right. and then they did firebomb an empty club and then they did firebomb a full club and then yeah but it was like they, they were like trying to attribute it to like these bigger things to like i guess scare them, scare them. More, more yeah. muscle. yeah yeah yep. really you just got some dude who likes eating paper clips and, <laughs> <laughs> and shorty another wow. guy doesn't know how court works <laughs> great names in that story yeah, um well true. i mean God, i love a shorty yeah. Yeah. Have we ever considered Andrew Shorty Bensley? <laughs> <laughs> Crime's the one place where like short guys thrive, you know? Yeah. El, El Chapo, that's El Shorty. Joe yeah. uh, Joe Pesci and Goodfellas. Uh-huh. Little fella. Another yep, that's the same that's <laughs> the exact same thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's small, one documentary. Small fellas. Um a lot of the same and I bet the corrupt cops uh, you know, all the suspicions swirling around are probably if not these guys would have been known to these guys, because this is um what the the groups called the Rat Pack, and they mm. were Frank fr- from the sixties. <laughs> from the sixties, well, really, they started their careers in the forties, but like sixties, seventies, eighties, these guys effectively ran crime in Brisbane, and they were like um, any any corruption was going on, they knew about it, if not orchestrated it. So, um, kicks off. Post World War Two in Brisbane, there's um, a, a sense of like faded glamour. I don't know if you guys knew this, but the population of Brisbane had doubled in the 40s mm. because of all the U.S. military US, guys. Yeah, the station right. there. St- yeah. Actually, because of sex. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't know. Um, all the cranes were dropping babies <laughs> off in the cabbage patch. Um, and yeah, Brisbane became this sort of hip uh, place. So there's a sex quote town. from. Um, Three Crooked Kings is the book by Matthew Condon. So it says, The city, all ox blood, iron awning, sandstone banks, and the Salvation Army band playing in King George Square was inexplicably at the forefront of things that mattered in the world. And it was crawling with US military men in their expensive and beautifully made salmon-hued uniforms. Hollywood no longer belonged on the screens of the region and Her Majesty's in the Metro. It was living and breathing on the streets of Brisbane. So that is uh, that's during the war. After the war, How it's far we've fallen. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen one salmon-hued <laughs> my whole fucking this time a, there. Like every true crime thing is like so eager to paint like any Podunk city as like Hollywood. Yeah, it's yeah. just like Sydney. People are killing each other with needles, just like Hollywood in the <laughs> olden times. Um, after it sort of died down, the police force swelled um, and they still had that remnants of the seedy sort of nightlife that had kicked up during the war. Um, so at the 50s and 60s, as the police force is swelling, as there's this sort of like remnants of this nightlife, it starts to form this sort of like symbiotic relationship. Um, late 40s, three young blokes in the early 20s joined the Queensland police around the same time. And there was an older detective with the CIB, Criminal Investigation Branch, which was billed as Brisbane's own Scotland Yard. It's like supposed to be the elite, you know, FBI sort of thing. Uh, And he was later to become the police commissioner in 1958. And he took these three blokes under his wing. Uh, His name was Frank Bischoff, known as Big Fella. There we go. I love a big fella, actually. <laughs> big fella versus shorty. Yeah. Yeah. The criminals are shorties, the cops are big fellas. There we go. Where does uh, the humble fat guy go? <laughs> <laughs> Under the umbrella of the big fella. So he's described by Matthew Condon as, quote, father and perfecter of the corrupt system known as the joke. 
uh, a network of graft that would ultimately infect almost every branch of the state government, judicial system, public service, and community in general for decades. Bischoff was vile and self-interested. He was a thug, a bully, a braggart, and a world-class liar. And it was later revealed he was also a pedo. Oh, oh, uh, you had me until Peter. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, this guy, right? Uh, the three young blokes that he took under his wing, they were Tony Murphy. He's sort of a big, intimidating, you know, tough guy. Big fella. Uh, mm-hmm. Glenn Hallahan. Um, and this fucking killed me. This is a description from the book as well, which is just very Brisbane. It's a quote, he exuded a preternatural confidence, had a taste for the latest fashionable clothing and wore palmfuls of cologne. His distinct, Distinctive scent led workmates to jokingly question his sexuality. <laughs> <laughs> sounds, like a, sounds like a shorty to me. Uh, and cologne then, boy, eh? And then, <laughs> taking it right up the cologne. <laughs> oh, uh, there he is. <laughs> and then the, <laughs> the last. <laughs> the, uh, Shorty's popped up. The last bloke was a, a tall, gangly uh Dude, I'm right. looking okay. to my right here. Um, he was not ver- gay, I'm sure. <laughs> he was <laughs> meticulous, very observant, mm-hmm. um, very sort of. He was the brains of the operation. His name right, was Terry. <laughs> Terry Lewis was his name. So we got Tony uh, Murphy, we got Glenn Hallahan, and Terry Lewis. Fuck, this is some Brisbane boys. I love these names. Um, and he was a bit of a suck up, and ended up being sort of the most important of the three. He was savvy in terms of just knowing how to get to the top sort of thing, right? He ended up being the most important three as he ended up serving as police commissioner himself from 76 until 1987. Uh, But at the time, in the late 40s and early 50s, these guys became Frank Bistroff's uh, bag men. So they would collect payoffs from bookies, brothel owners, bribes, all that shit uh, on his behalf, um, which is the system they called the joke. I don't know why that's the whole, um, the name for this whole um, sort of organization. Uh, they also compiled secret dossiers on politicians in order to blackmail them. They probably thought that was going to be like real funny to call it the joke. Yeah. And now we're like, we don't get it. It's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really dumb. Um, and they eventually became known as the Rat Pack. Um, easiest stream of income for them at the time were weekly bribes collected from the city's sex workers in exchange for protection from prosecution. Um, which is incidentally, it's that that kind of graft happens everywhere. Has always happened, you know that, that sort of extortionate um, style. Uh, I did find completely coincidentally uh, this a similar thing had happened very recently. I was just reading the news while doing the research at the same time, and uh, this story just made me laugh. Um, so, see if you can guess why, Jamie. So, headline: Former San Diego PD detective who owned illicit massage parlors sentenced to prison. Uh, a former Why Diego- me specifically? <laughs> <laughs> I've never been to these sort of places. <laughs> you just wait. Uh, so here's the story. A former San Diego police detective who operated massage parlors that offered commercial sex services was sentenced Friday to nearly three years in federal prison. Peter Griffin, 70. <laughs> 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 Got him. Uh, so that God, cool. that makes me so happy. <laughs> Again, why only Jamie? We got that, like, you know, this niche show we watch. <laughs> You're probably not into it. Yeah, it's pretty underground. Um, so 
for this, <laughs> for the purpose of this story, Griffin. I'm gonna um. Yeah, we don't need to do the rest of the story. I'm gonna focus on. <laughs> we had Chris Ryan on uh, for Canberra, and instead of Lake Burley Griffin, you guys called it Lake Peter Griffin the whole episode. She didn't did not understand the joke the entire oh, man, time. It was so funny, and she and was, she like, was being the best sport about it. She's like, I don't really get what this is. She and you guys are dying. What's the riff? And I was like, Lake Peter Griffin. She went. Who the hell's that? <laughs> awesome. <laughs> freaking sweet, Lois. It was freaking sweet. Um, so the rest of this story, yeah, I'll focus on uh, the women who ended up bringing these guys down and in turn basically brought the whole corrupt Queensland government down at the time. Meg. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's always fucking Meg. Because this all occurred... The background of all of this, for context, was during um, a lot of it was during the premiership of Joe Bielke Peterson, mm. who around the, the s- fucking devil. Uh, yeah, man, yeah. he's he's we. Sh- I think because I started off, I was going to look at Joe Bielke Peterson, and this kind of spiraled out of control. I actually, used to work with his uh, grandson, Dan. Mm. Yeah, and he was probably like. And this is again a little off topic, but he's probably the most handsome man I've ever seen. Right <laughs> oh, really? I mean, a real hunk, a spunk, a slam dunk. Did <laughs> yeah. he rock? Say Bielke what you Peterson. will about. Yeah, what, yeah. He was the last name Bielke. Yeah, Bielke. it was. Yeah. Impossible to spell, so sweet to say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, he, um, at the time these guys were sort of joining the police force, He that was when he first went into parliament or whatever he was just, he was a peanut farmer from like country queensland Jimmy Carter. um and he actually was when when this lewis when terry lewis became commissioner and we'll get into it a bit later he was sort of hand-picked by joe bielke peterson mm-hmm. um so i'll start with two of the women there's four main main characters sort of that brought these guys down over the years but the first two is uh, dorothy knight and shirley briffman and they both worked at the very notorious National Hotel, um, which was one of the four tolerated brothels in the city. Um, like us, tolerated by customers? Or the yeah. Cost- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The other ones were around, but God, they were disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> Two stars. <laughs> All greasy on the can't, door. Can't tolerate them. It took a massive, massive fire in Queensland for people to be like, all right, maybe we don't put the grease <laughs> on the ground near the exits. Um, and this is sort of the way it worked. There were four tolerated by the police, the brothels in Brisbane. So Ron Eddington, who would eventually run the police union, uh, he observed that, quote, if a madam wanted to employ a new girl, she would check in with the officer in charge of consorting who would check out her record and lay down the law. She would have to have a house name, be registered on police books, wasn't allowed to drink at work and had to be medically checked uh, each week. And cops would harass anyone outside of this system, including um, dropping off their pimps. And pimps then in that time were known as bludgers. That's like some slang for pimp. Like you sure. fucking bludger. That's a better term, I think. That's yeah, great. Yeah, sure. and they would some fucking middleman. They would pick these guys up and just drop them. They'd drive them to the New South Wales border and literally kick them out the ass across the border and wow. like, don't come back. Jeez. Um, so that was and so the cops were effectively running pimps. this. Yeah, they exact, were pimps. Exactly right. Um, uh, so Briffman, uh, Shirley Briffman, she had moved to Brisbane from a town up north called Atherton. And she was, um, by all accounts, very a glamorous, uh, sort of charismatic um, uh, girl as a as a young um, a young person. She was a big fan of debutante balls, which we've covered before. Mm-hmm. She would do the circuit. She loved it, like loved just dressing up, and and she loved the sort of glamour of it all. And then no one, it's not 
exactly clear, but there was some sort of murkiness um, as she gets into her late teens, possibly dodgy boyfriend or something. But she ends up moving uh, to Brisbane if she starts doing sex work and her family, you know, very worried about her. Um, and her first sort of big moment in the spotlight came when there was a commission into the National Hotel in 1963, which was incidentally the very first royal commission into police misconduct in Queensland. Ooh. She was going to be the big witness. She was going to expose it all, all the corruption surrounding that place. Um, but she got onto the stand and was effectively like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, not a sex worker. Um, she said, I've be- <laughs> she's like, I've, I've barely been to the National. Like, I rarely go there. And apparently... <clears throat> Like there were audible laughs because she was such a she was fucking cemented to the, <laughs> the bar. The judge is cracking up. I was drinking with you last night. Um, Your Honor, I've never had sex. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it was later revealed that uh, one of the Rat Pack, Tony Murphy, had basically told her exactly what to say, fed her to lines. Um, after the commission found no misconduct, she fled to Sydney at the behest of the Rat Pack, uh, where she effectively ended up becoming like a franchisee for the joke. She set up like a similar <laughs> corruption system, but with the New South Wales cops. And she was also in contact with all the Queensland guys at the same time. Oh, all right. So she actually became kind of a big deal. And again, we could cover that in another rep because mm. she had a whole Sydney life right now in around Darlinghurst or um, Kings, Kingsford, I think. Mm-hmm. Dorothy Knight is the second one. Meanwhile, similar time, she'd, um, the way she sort of um, came into contact with these guys was via Glenn Hallahan. Um, the guy with the clone and the questionable sexuality. Mm. He visited her in Brisbane. <laughs> Something for the YouTube audience. He, uh, he visited her in a Brisbane prison where she was serving a short stint for pa- uh, passing forged checks. And this was sort of the MO for finding these um, women that they could exploit for money. They would find these sort of down and out types who had done some sort of crime, go in, suss them out, and... Um, so the, and sort of the cops are recruiting the, them. Yes, the cops are recruit. They're not recruiting even recruiting them. So they'll be like, well, like they'll get a call, yeah. like, "Hey, like a you know this pretty nineteen year old we caught stealing," and he'll be like, "I'm going to come down there and end up fucking selling a body Jeez. for money." Right? It's I horrific. Feel, I feel like I know where this is heading. I don't want to jump the gun, but yeah, the cops are cops were dirty dogs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. good. That's unreal. Uh, and she was smitten with Hallahan, right? So she described him as quote an absolutely impeccable man. Truly, you could <laughs> fall for him just like that. Very, very much so. I hung off every word he said. So. Definitely like, gay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, never settled down though. <laughs> Very neat, and that, clean. This is this is how New pimps every show operate. Impeccable right? <laughs> <laughs> <Peckable> dancer. <laughs> um, so they're doing what? How pimps operate, which is just make these poor people fall in love with them, tr- pretend that they love them back. But he's just this guy was a psycho behind mm-hmm. the eyes, and very violent. It turns out. So she ends up working at the Nash. Um, Again, quote, she'd drink a scotch to smooth the nerves and take half a purple heart, a popular stimulant in mid-60s London nightclubs that soon arrived in Australia, then charm potential clients at the bar before heading upstairs to the pub's guest rooms. Uh, so very shortly after this, she's kicking. So is this a combination pub brothel or just a brothel? Well, it's a hotel, right? Yeah. Like, so there's rooms upstairs for rent, but the, the proprietors know that. And so it's, so like, it's like the Continental from John Wick. But it's all high class sex workers in a, in, <laughs> in a humid, disgusting. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it's like a bar, but, un- but you know, it's, it's like, without. It's like the Continental, but it's got a Queensland veranda around the edges of it. <laughs> and a Tino room and uh, yeah. <laughs> there's a yeah, there's pokies out. Dudes in shorts and dying. <laughs> <downstairs. laughs> there's a sit down gig on in the front bar. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know. Um, pretty pretty soon she's kicking back 
about sort of the equivalent today of $300 a week to Hallahan. So it's not even huge money, but there's just so many. Even equivalent today. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And she's ignoring all the rumors of sort of the violence and ruthlessness of this bloke. (laughs) His name, he was was nicknamed Silent. Ooh. Silent. Big fella. You got Silent. I don't know where Shorty fucking ruin the whole mystique every time you speak, though. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You can't say shit. What's your name? (laughs) (laughs) This guy's hard to communicate (laughs) with. Um, so by this is all through the sixties. Sorry, uh, by nineteen seventy one, <laughs> who gave him that? Did he come up with silent? Or? I don't. Well, I don't think so. Because I speak. I met a man uh, through my dad who uh, his name was Silver, Ooh. and I was like, "Why is he called Silver?" And they're like, "No one knows." And so I asked him, and he's like, "I just called myself that," <laughs> and everyone else started calling me. I'm like, See? "Is that easy? You can just fucking make it up." That yeah, rules. you can't. I think you can't be obvious with it, but if you just come in and casually be like. <laughs> Hey, I'm Silver. Mm. You know. got me like Andrew Big Dog Hastings, yeah. where it's like, there's yeah. only one yeah. person pushing that. Hey, I'm Gurf. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Gurf. <laughs> Ask me why. Because um, you have a baguette in a holster? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> so, by 1971, both uh, Shirley and uh, Dorothy, both the, both the women's relationships with the Rat Pack group had started to fray. Uh, most significant moment occurred when Shirley Briffman was arrested in New South Wales um, by New South Wales police on prostitution-related charges and briefly imprisoned. And she was completely pissed off because she's like, why the fuck have I been paying these guys for over a decade to protect me and they and I still get put in the clink, right? Mm-hmm. Both Because mm-hmm. she was doing it in New South Wales at the time. This is after this that inquiry. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, Queensland cops, nobody was protecting her and um, she kind of got... She, she thought of herself as like, we're all equal players at this table. Like I'm one of the criminals as well, but obviously, you know, they just viewed them as like chattel. Mm -hmm. So that kind of clicked with her. And she said the prospect of facing jail time freaked her out a lot, made her worry about her kids. And uh, so she pulled a move that has never gone wrong in the history of police corruption. She blew the whistle in a public television interview. Oh, no. Okay. June 15, 1971. Hey, hey, it's Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> red faces. <laughs> a lot of red faces she, at the cop shop. She's got three gongs. <laughs> uh, she appeared on the respected This Day Tonight current affairs program on the ABC. She revealed that she had perjured herself at the National Hotel Royal Commission in Brisbane several years earlier uh, and had been paying off police for more than a decade. She would subsequently tell police all about the Rat Pack and their corrupt counterparts in the Sydney police plus suspected murders and a host of other crime. Um, she pretty much walked out of the studio that night with a big target painted on her back. Uh, Tony Murphy, on the back of this, ended up getting charged with perjury based on her false testimony because she was like, he told me what to say. So Rat Packer Tony Mur- Murphy gets arrested. Um, so while that's going on, I'll cut back to Dorothy Knight for a bit. She's stuck in an unhappy relationship. She's starting to have doubts about Glenn Hallahan, Mr. Silent. She's sick of blokes pushing her around. Basically, she gets a knock at the door from two detectives from the Criminal Intelligence Unit, unit which was uh, formed by new commissioner Ray Whitrod in 1970 um, with the express purpose of bringing down the Rat Pack. Like That's why it was formed. Um, Whitrod had succeeded the big fella Ray Bischoff who in a move to uh, preempt every sports star getting caught for something, doing something completely abhorrent, he retired citing mental health issues. Oh, mm. okay. You don't hear that in 71. Like that's no, pretty early that's for that true. one. Uh, but yeah, it's because he was diddling kids and a corrupt piece of shit. <laughs> that is a mental health issue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That would, um, that would uh, 
yeah, that that qualifies. Absolutely, it's bad. Bit of a sidebar on this Whitrod guy. Um, we, again, this is another person you could do a whole episode on. But long and short of it, he was basically an honest cop who would become the antagonist of the Rat Pack generally. But Terry Lewis specifically, they. This is the fucking Sherlock Holmes. Oh, what, right. You know, whatever the fuck. God, it's, it's, so so it's so lame that they called themselves the Rat Pack when the Rat Pack was so famous. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah such I a know. fucking like, Queensland thing. Straight after, just, too. Yeah. 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 Not young. Like, oh, yeah. There would have been some crossover. Like Definitely. Yeah. He um, he had come up to Queensland. This is Whitrod. He was working uh, at what was then known as the Commonwealth Investigation Service and what is now known as the AFP. Which, this is another fun fact I found, well, just another sidebar, um, on the origins of the AFP. I don't know if you guys knew this. This is just the most fucking Aussie shit of all time. So, Ray Whitrod had worked as Director of Commonwealth Investigation Services, precursor to the AFP, which was formed in 1917, when the then Prime Minister, Billy Hughes, had an egg thrown at him at a public rally in mm-hmm. Warwick, Queensland, and didn't trust the Queensland cops to uh, we, investigate. We, yeah, I think we, Have we brought that yeah, up. We yeah, yeah, up. yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I can't it's remember where it was. Watch out. But one of yeah. my favourite... Truly uh, egg boy, something egg boy adjacent. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, true. It's the closest we get to, like, political dissent in this country. Yeah, throwing an egg. Chucking throwing an egg. egg. Yeah, <laughs> it really it. lets people know what's it's going it's, on. Yeah, exactly. Dorothy, had she agreed to take part in a good old-fashioned sting... So she was going to meet Hallahan at a pre-arranged time at a park bench in uh, New Farm Park and hand over her weekly kickback payment in cash. The CIO, uh, CIU would be watching and waiting in this caravan not far from the park. They were going to spring, going to arrest him. Um, and there's a very great Brisbane moment again in an interview I listened to with Do- Dorothy. She's still alive today. And she's very funny and like the interview rules. She's, she's just like, she's got... She's an old woman now. She's got grandma vibes, but she's you can tell she's fucking cheeky as shit. Like, she's just super funny. Mm-hmm. And so Brisbane. So this is the guy who's dapper. You know, everyone's like, you know, he knows how to dress this this bloke. And the interviewer asks if she remembers what he was wearing that day when he came in. And she, and she goes, oh, oh yes, yes, yes. He was wearing a really nice pair of uh, board shorts. I'm <laughs> 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 expecting, like, shirt to come after that. <laughs> His thongs were amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and it was the freshest hot tuna t-shirt you've ever seen. <laughs> Freshly owned. <laughs> um, he had a puka shell necklace on that was a real panty dropper. Uh, the exchange happens. The cops pounce. He's arrested. Dorothy faints in, in the drama oh, of it all. It's a whole scene. Cool. <laughs> it's very old. Yeah. <laughs> um, so while again, while this is happening... Back to Shirley. She's living in a police safe house after this interview wow. uh, with her four children and her husband, Sonny. Uh, and she's a wreck, right? She's been naming names, making statements. Um, she's also set to be the chief witness at Tony Murphy's perjury trial, which is coming up in April. Uh, without her testimony, the whole case is basically gone. In March, she dies of a drug overdose, mm. aged 36. Uh, she was found by her daughter, Marianne, and it's ruled an accidental drug overdose, considered open and shut. Uh, in 2017, after lobbying from her family, Queensland's Attorney General referred the case back to the state's coroner to be reinvestigated. However, to this day, nothing has come of that. But revealed in the book that I brought up earlier, Three Crooked Kings by uh, Matthew Condon, uh, he found, he tracked down that Marianne's boyfriend at the time was also there that night, and he's gone on record as saying that he witnessed somebody come to the house really late at night to talk with Shirley and he said he couldn't make out what they said. And Marianne, her daughter, said that she saw this person as well give her mother an amber vial of something. 
And so the theory is, and it's all circumstantial, but, but the, the daughter, <laughs> the daughter thinks that Tony Murphy or his wife, Maureen had come there, given her tainted drugs and basically said, either you take this or your family's getting killed. And Gnarly. she, she sacrificed mm. herself So she had to a husband kids. and a boyfriend and she was a sex worker. The daughter's boyfriend. Oh, okay. I was going to say. Um, it's not like Andrew Hastings' <laughs> life. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a hard deal to make. Yeah. yeah. So um, Sit down, look at the vial. Yeah. <laughs> it's really... How, what, what are those kids going to really <laughs> yeah. do time? Um, that cleans their room right now. You know what <laughs> <Yeah>. I mean? <laughs> so with her death, the case against Tony Martin's completely gone. Us, uh, Tony Martin. Tony Murphy. <laughs> <laughs> Mick Malloy, <Sorry>. my mom. <laughs> um, and the sting on Hallahan failed to land any serious charges. All that happened from that was he was given like – he, he was charged with some, something just like slap on the wrist worthy, but he ended up just quitting the cops. Got all impressed as well. And, um, he quit the force, but remained deep in the criminal world. And so Dorothy's like, well, fuck, I was the one who put the sting on him. He's going to be after me. Yep. Right? So she's absolutely packing it. Uh, she's put in a police safe house and where the cops like treat her really poorly. Like, sh- like it's, the details are fucking awful. That's so strange. Cops are normally so... Yeah, I know. They're so lovely. <laughs> so people who turn against... Mild-mannered when it comes <laughs> to dealing with people um, in jail. And she... So after she's had, she'd had enough. She decided to escape from this house, right? And so this is another great little anecdote. She, um, after waiting for one of the guards to use the toilet, she stole his gun and jumped out of the window. And there's a great quote from her. She goes... Yeah. Go for the gun, she, she goes, Always go for a cop's gun. <laughs> she's their weak point. <laughs> she goes, don't ask me why I went out the window. I mean, I could have opened the friggin' front door. He was in the toilet, but not me. I had to go out the window and hurt my bloody leg. <laughs> 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 um, so it, but the escape didn't work, right? She's found, uh, I think they found her down at the, at the pub. <laughs> Right, go. <laughs> just showing everyone the gun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just limping around like, look at the gun, I got this fucking idiot. <laughs> just spinning it on the gun. Powerful. Um, and the rest, the, sort of the rest of the story is pretty sad with her. There's like a fail affair with one of the guards. There's like illegal abortions and all this kind of stuff. They never kill her. She just kind of fades out. And, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. She's, and like I said, she's still alive today. Um, but as she's fading out... A new woman is sort of coming in. This is in the 70s, and she starts taking over the whole illicit sex trade in Brisbane. She's named Simone Vogel. I don't know if you guys have ever heard that name. She had moved to Sydney from King's Cross in 1968, which was the year that uh, Bjorki Peterson became Premier. Mm-hmm. Uh, spent the 70s building an empire of ma- uh, massage parlours. So, quote from the book, Vogel single-handedly turned the Brisbane sex scene from a cottage industry into a full-blown money-making machine. Utilizing all her expertise from Sydney, she opened massage parlors or health studios with themed decor, expensive fittings, booze, and food. Fuck yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the in, in Brisbane, the 70s and 80s is where the whole cop she government- that, She brought that Sydney razzle-dazzle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Before this, we were just drinking out of a trough. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't know you could have fittings. <laughs> Plates. Um, se- <laughs> 70s and 80s are like <laughs> Sorry. Where, where the cop government crime- Nexus relationship could completely comes to a head. This is when it was like sizzling. So 1976, Terry Lewis, this is um, the Rat Packer and Whitrod's sworn enemy, is handpicked by Joe Bielke Peterson over 122 equal or more senior candidates to be the new assistant police commissioner. And he did that 
because Whitrod was the commissioner at the time and he knew that he'd be pissed and he was and he resigned in protest. So he goes, all these guys are like way more qualified. He goes, no, I want Terry Lewis. Puts him in there and he goes, I quit. And he's like, congrats, you got a promotion. You're the you're the um, the new commish. Uh, and about this, Lewis, um, sorry, a, a quote from a former royal commissioner about this whole sort of situation. He said, Lewis... Um, was plucked from well-deserved obscurity by Premier Bielke Peterson to be his vassal to do his bidding, lawful or otherwise. Um, and eventually that's sort of the end of Whitrod. He ended up, I think, fleeing back to his home state of Adelaide, like in fear for his life. Because he's like, these guys, they're out to yeah, get me. Yeah, they right? always end up back in Adelaide, eh? Mm. <laughs> exactly. Um, so by 1977, Simone Vogel at this point, she is living canal side on the Gold Coast. She's driving a Merc. She's entertaining celebs at her place, right? She's the queen of Brisbane's underbelly. Said to be kicking back 40 grand a month to corrupt cops. Wow. Mm, damn. Uh, so that's only got to be a portion of what she's making, obviously. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and this is all done through the licensing branch of the force. Uh, at this time, though, she's trying to go legit. She has a cover business which is a, just a string of hairdressing salons and she's like i want to get out of this right word starts going around the scene that she's considering retirement which is a huge problem for the leaders of the joke system uh because one she's making them shit loads of cash and two she knows the system inside and out so uh they you know if she starts squawking everyone's going down um there's an uh, an honest cop remembered interviewing her briefly and he believed she was about to spill it when um one day she gets a call at one of her parlors um, from someone who had arranged a meeting with her at the same parking spot as before, according to one of her workers who overheard that conversation. She hangs up. She hastily arranges six grand in cash to take to the meeting. Uh, sorry, 60 grand, roughly the equivalent at that time to a police officer's annual salary. Damn. Uh, no one knows who called her or where she was meeting, um, but disappeared that day and has never been found since. Wow, man. So Damn. she's gone, right? So now the Rat Pack is Terry Lewis, the police commissioner, handpicked by the Premier. Tony Martin, he's another senior cop. And Not Hall Tony Martin, right? Tony Murphy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I've got fucking Martin and Malloy on the brain. <laughs> Eat your peas. Um, so, and then Hallahan, who's officially out of the force, but he's acting now as a conduit. He's, he's retired and he's like, no, I'm just a criminal now. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's... Three, this is arguably their most untouchable period, right? And this is evidenced by an anecdote from the investigation into the disappearance of this uh, Simone Vogel woman. The bloke in charge of the investigation suspected that the licensing branch was involved somehow, so he reports it to his boss. His boss was Tony Murphy. Oh, right? no. So okay. it's just like, it's a horror movie. You turn mm -hmm. around and there's a fucking bad guy everywhere. Uh, and then he just got removed from the case because Tony, like, Tony Murphy's like, uh, hey, man, we'll look into it. And then... You're, you're turfed you're off the case uh and then the final of these uh of these four women is someone only known by her pseudonym Catherine james who would eventually be successful in dismantling the rat pack so Catherine was a brothel madam in the 70s and 80s and of course she's given kickbacks to the cops that's how the system works uh, but then she tried to open her own place called Xanadu, and she paid off the Rat Pack, which is what you had to do. She bribed him, and not they were like... Not an original fucking idea. <laughs> 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 yeah, Sinatra's pretty cool. How do you feel about Xanadu? Xanadu. <laughs> so she, she does what they want. She pays her bribe. Um, but what they did was just took her money, completely double-crossed her, and just didn't let her open. Like, they're just yep. hiring their own fucking power at this point. 
And she gets very pissed off. So another quote from Matthew Condon. Uh, in all instances, you've got these incredibly intelligent women capable of running multi-million dollar businesses and having to kick back a lot of uh, kick back money to a lot of ill-educated, corrupt, and morally bankrupt police officers. So you can sort of see why this is great. Like she she was by yeah. you know by all accounts she was um she went to like a very prestigious school, very well educated, very intelligent woman, and she's got these fucking hillbillies rocking up, fucking drenched in cologne, demanding kickbacks, right? So. In 1987, ABC's Four Corners, which is still going to this day, they released a report called The Moonlight State, which you can watch on ABC, and it fucking rules. I think it might be on YouTube as well. Uh, investigative journalist Chris Masters had been lurking around far north Queensland and Brisbane um, since 86 after a tip-off about Queensland uh, police corruption. And this program is like a fucking bombshell and just all hell breaks loose the day mm-hmm. after it's released. Um, at the time, Premier Bjorki Peterson was out of the country uh, and acting Premier Bill Gunn pledged a royal commission. Nice name. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, pretty powerful. Pretty powerful. Walking into the politician open mic. <laughs> <laughs> Walking on stage. Um, he, he promised a royal commission into the show's allegations. Um, a bloke called Tony Fitzgerald, QC, was appointed at commissioner as commissioner. Um, so I wonder how this man will play into things. Yeah, yeah. That's a little hint in his surname there. Uh, so crooked cops and politicians basically expected the inquiry to run out of gas in a couple of weeks, but they could not have foreseen that one of the first witnesses was this educated, very highly intelligent woman who not only had a bone to pick with the cops, but knew the whole fucking system inside out. Mm. So um, a former licensing branch cop who turned whistleblower said, Quote, had she not come forward, that whole commission would have wrapped up within six months to a year. They had nobody. But she did come forward. She was a star witness. She detailed everything from behind a screen because she had to hide her identity, which this day has never been revealed. Um, all we know is she's still alive and she's living somewhere in rural Queensland, which is weird that you would give a little hint. Like like, yeah. <laughs> you know, just say she lived in Adelaide. Uh, as a result of this, which became known as the Fitzgerald Inquiry, uh, Commissioner Terry Lewis was charged with 23 counts of corruption, perjury, and forgery. He was eventually convicted and sentenced to 14 years for corruption, 10 years for the forgery, uh, to be served concurrently, nine and a half years non-parole. He was paroled after 10 and a half years in 2002, and he died aged 95 about five months ago. Damn. Oh, wow. So, and he died this year. Um, Joe Bielke peterson himself was put on trial for perjury. Um, in respect to the evidence ga- given to the inquiry, the jury in the case was deadlocked, bringing about a mistrial. Uh, in 1992, it was revealed that the jury foreman, a bloke named Luke Shaw, was a member of the Young Nationals and was uh, identified with the Friends of Joe movement and just <laughs> didn't tell anyone, right? And yeah. all the cops, so cops handpicked him to like get Joe off. This is how like deep the corruption was, oh, right, no. in the state. Um, and yeah, so he was Joe Bjorke Peterson, member of the Nationals. Um, again, we should do a deep dive into this, can't it's, mm-hmm. it's psycho shit, right? Um, he, this, when this was revealed in 92, um, a special prosecutor was like, we've got to retry him, but then he was too old at the time. I think he was 81. Um, so they didn't, he just, again, pretty much got away with it. Um, a lot of the government ministers though went down. So some had served jail time, uh, and in large part during the, pu- due to the public anger over these revelations in the Fitzgerald report, the National Party was heavily defeated in December 1989 state election, which brought the Australian Labor Party to power for the first time since 1957. So that's how pissed off people Jesus. were. And again, as part of this, the special branch of the police, uh, which 
Joe Bielke Peterson basically used as his own little sort of squad to harass other politicians, attack protesters, etc. Completely disbanded in 1989, and they destroyed all their own records before they could be subpoenaed. So nothing dodgy going on there. Just shred everything, burn it down. Mm-hmm. That's it. So Damn. that's the Fitzgerald, now known as the Fitzgerald Report. Mm. Brought down the whole fucking state government, brought down the cops. Like, pretty impressive. And it all comes off the back of testimony of Ka- Catherine uh, James. Oh, damn it, man. What do you got to say for your state there, Shout, Jacob? <laughs> Shout out to Kathy James. <laughs> <laughs> not enough. Not uh, enough Kathy James love. Um, how about we? I'll try to squeeze in mine. A uh, bit of a palate cleanse um, for this because so we do the underbelly and we do a lot of crime stuff. Which is, you know, criminal underbelly, but I like mm-hmm. a different type of underbelly, the seedy underbelly. Ooh. Oh. I want to talk about the Brisbane. Are going to say that pork belly? Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was like, fingers crossed for pork belly. We're breaking early. <laughs> Are we going to order McCrow? I want to talk about the Brisbane porn mafia. Hello. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, I think I know a son about this, actually. Yeah. yeah, yeah it's, it's very, uh, not, it's not very well reported. It's ve- there's, there's, very li- there's a couple of articles about individual guys, but. Um, I had to pull together a whole bunch of hearsay and bullshit and stuff about so Ryan Sim. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so it's the early '90s in Brisbane, right? And yeah. it's it's really Ryan quirky. Was because, then. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but That's the true. so the, 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 the <laughs> all tracks, okay. All right. um, the, and so, he's in Sydney now. So when the internet kicked off, sort of in the early '90s, to properly the World Wide Web Big style time. internet, the uh, Porn, like porn, was obviously still you know videos and and via, uh, magazines. That was that was porn, right? Mm. But well, those porn makers they weren't tech savvy at all. They didn't know how websites or anything worked, right? So, and porn, the only way to get porn was you get magazines or VHS in a store. That so you had or to like turn a up mail system. Or Ma- ma- but even that, I think people were a bit like, no, I don't know mm. about this. So there, pe- there was a lot of people who didn't like the stigma of going to buy porn. So when the internet started off. There was this huge, huge potential there that not a lot of people realised mm. for a more anonymous porn viewing, Experience. right? And just, just, <laughs> just coincidence. So one Kirk of it has never seen so wrapped in the yeah. story. <laughs> Folks like pork belly and or porn. Uh, I'm You're really excited. All boxes. Um, and we've mentioned Ryan Sims. He's a, he's a hunk, he's and a he hunk smells boy. so good. He, does he could be that good. guy from the other case. Yeah. Mm. Old silent. But so that so as as one of the guys, Greg Lazadro, who's like maybe the most well documented of these guys. Yeah, he's the porn king. He was he, so he he has a so you know his name. Qu- yeah, he's the, the Pink Mansion Man. Yeah, Pink Mansion Man. So he's one of the one of the four, and he's the most uh, like I said. There's a there's a decent article on him, but he quotes in this article just about the time there were people worldwide who had never felt comfortable entering a newsagent buying an adult magazine. Then all along came the internet, and all of a sudden, in the privacy of their own homes, they could access it all, including specific fetishes they are into like bondage big boobs or whatever <laughs> which I yeah, love I think, how, I, I think I have that fetish yeah, yeah, yeah. I love how some guys Damn, like huh? oh. I guess I'm pretty kinky <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little a, twisted just, I like <laughs> big boobs in an overcoat in the shadows it's like have you got any big boobs stuff <laughs> <laughs> um, used to, my ex-girlfriend my first girlfriend used to work in borders and used to like they're going to say you used to have big boobs and she used to like her and her, like her co-workers would watch like people like 
Because people had all day to hang out in Borders, like yeah. when it was mm-hmm. around. Coffee shop, store, so. and they were yeah, and there was a coffee shop there, and she'd see people like in the magazine racks because like the magazine racks quite long, and they'd start over at like Guitar World, and then like oh. race cars, and they'd slowly edge towards the porno <laughs> man, and like that you could point, you could pick them out from a fucking mile away to yeah. the point where they're like, we just want to go over and be like, just go look at the pornos, <laughs> yeah. brother. But forty minutes just gone through. Oh, sports oh, cars. Yeah. You do the same thing with the computer. So you start watching like a <laughs> Mr. Beast video, and then you're reading about eucalyptus, and then you're jacking off. Yeah, Mr. Beast, no. Mr. Bestiality. <laughs> Nothing gets me looking up big boobs more than a bit of PewDiePie. <laughs> so uh, the first guy to break onto the scene, um, so they called the Brisbane Poor Mafia. They, they, it was basically four. It was a bunch of them, but there was four main guys who all sort of worked together at times, but also did their own thing. But they were friends. And, you know, so there wasn't like a, there wasn't a conglomerate. There was just, just coincidentally like a quarter to a third of the internet porn in the late nineties was run out of Brisbane, like yeah. worldwide. Wow. wow. So, and so that was really like <laughs> highlight. <laughs> so, so the US people were like, oh, the fucking Brisbane porn What are like mafia. some of the sites then? Um, Bigboobs.com. <laughs> uh, so I'll go through it in a bit. But uh, so the first guy to break on the scene was this guy called, um, Dean Shannon and his nickname was the General, which is a pretty sick. Yeah, 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 so his yeah. username online was General at like so he on all the news boards and news boards. Everyone calls him the General. So '96 and he, there's no info on this guy, right? Not a lot. But in '96 he started a website called Intergal, um, which was like one of those like ones that had all the different sites in it, right? Yeah. yeah. And so he he made all this, got all this content paid for, hosted it, charged a fee, and he was a real internet traffic genius. And within like a year, this website, it's the third biggest porn site in the world. It was the 54th biggest website in the world. Right? But it's in, like an aggregator, right? So it doesn't it's like a directory or something. No, well, he had a, he had like a banner head that had like, Big boobs, stop whatever, and then this fetish, and like he made all the content, like he he yeah. did it the whole thing. Pick, pick um, your poison, pick yeah. your poison, like the um, the Drudge Report or something. Sure, it, yeah, but at no sites. point would that like it'd be like, but we don't have like integral originals, like it's all linking out to other yeah, stuff, yeah, but it's all under the banner, like yeah, very yeah, clever, vivid or something. I don't, yeah, yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean. Integral's, integral's such a bad name. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a terrible it's name. Called like fuck dot com. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, number one, so it was the third biggest website in the world, porn website at the time. Number one pawncity.net that's a fucking good website porn city Kara's world Kara's world second and turgle number oh, three. Oh yeah Kara's world rings a bell <laughs> it's, it's gonna world. be really hard for us all to like you know admit we know and remember <laughs> the stuff <laughs> <laughs> that rings actually not nah, I, I remember people talking it's gonna be about fucking old mate yeah. in England on television like oh I was involved no yeah. I don't actually know what, 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 what do you call Brazzers uh, Brazzers two Z's one Z pornography they film it what's it Bluetooth Shannon so Dean Shannon, he ran an office in Milton and he had these all these servers and stuff. And there was other computer geeks around who had they were getting into the internet and they ran servers and they saw he was making money hand over fist. It was like for every dollar you spend on like hosting and advertising, you make ten dollars without even trying, right? So there's yeah, three other guys who get involved: Scott Phillips, John Atherton, and Greg Lazaro Lazarado. John Atherton. John Ath John Johnson Atherton, yes. Not John Atherton, like who then became a comedian. No, it doesn't. No. Do that. <laughs> that would be insane, but also would totally track for that man's lifestyle. <laughs> well, I'll get into, I'll get into Athen in a minute. Cause that, so those three, so the, the general was quite ethical and quite like good. He did everything, just ran a business. These three guys learned a bit from him and then learned from themselves and everything, but they started their own thing um, by themselves, obviously. But then they started getting real like dodgy, right? So basically, 
um, they like they realize that you know you can basically do whatever you want to these people online as in like the the customers and they're not going to complain because mm. it's like you know like who's going to go down the bank and be like these guys charge yep. me too much right so they just become they get into all these dodgy tactics about getting customers spamming hacking um start hacking websites content stealing and dodgy content aka mrbestiality.com right so john because oh they God. so wait mr bestiality is real no well, i just oh, okay. that was a riff but they okay. they guy that's athlete and guy realized some of them realized that like the best bang for buck was those real niche sort of taboo sites because mm. those guys aren't getting their stuff at the news agent right yeah, yeah. Also, so, i don't want to sound like a pig but like if you th if you're thinking profit you don't have to pay dogs anything that's correct you know that's thinking like a pig which this guy is one of his subdomains actually um so so um so anyway think like they'll do pig. anything for a schmack oh my god i don't want this um, bad riff bad riff so uh yeah so he he makes all and also he becomes a massive spammer this atherton guy so he just gets millions of um emails just from the internet that people haven't opted into and just sends like a seven million email blast and uh and for people who haven't signed in for it could and generate so it's just like a smith at telstra like just mm. think they're just inventing emails assuming there's a someone at the other end right yeah. not even so it could be children it could be anyone it could be mm. a fucking grandma right just who cares whatever and so there's online that says that athenon had a website called farmsex.com mm -hmm. and he sent out a three uh, mil at three million spam yep. emails to this and this is the, the content dirty farm bitches ed's got the biggest cock on the farm and the girls lo just love to help him show it off good oh, lord join the 90s join the girls giving ed a regular handling so he's sending out all this stuff and everyone in the u.s is like this is well, not everyone, but the people are accusing these guys of being real on the verge of illegal mm. behavior, right? Ed is a horse. Ed is Ed is Mr. Yeah, Ed. Ed. I assume. Wilbur. I'm gonna come. I'm sorry. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Worst time to own a talking horse. Ever. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It'd be a lot worse. <laughs> this alley's bad, but if the animals could talk yeah. as well, that would be a lot worse. So Scott, Scott oh, this it's going to run long. So everyone, That's um, so Scott Phillips, he ran a website called Pink Bits um, mm -hmm. um, with um, Lizrado. He was making over four and a half million bucks. This website was making over four and a half million bucks a month. Fuck, Fuck at one me. point in the nineties, in the in the late late nineties, early two thousands. Wow. So he was accused of stealing content, and then people would charge him. Um, like the other porn sites would be like, hey, that's our frigging DVD you just ripped and put on your website. And you'd be like, whatever, I'm in Australia. Go fuck yourself. Shut up, nerds. <laughs> Shut up, nerds. Yeah, exactly. So he was pushing, and he denies all this, obviously, but um, you know that's what everyone was saying. And he also did, like I said, exorbitant fees. So it's sign up now, $10 a month, and then there would just be $20 a month. It would be like $10 a year, and then it would be $10 a month. And like twenty dollars extra. Don't take tactics. Really horrendous. <laughs> Don't. All right, your words. Uh, but um, but uh, because they just went like whatever. People were just what are they going to complain to the bank? They you know that my porn site ch overcharged me, yeah. right? And Visa and Mastercard weren't savvy to <laughs> any of this stuff. the bank and demanding. He's like farmsex.com <laughs> has ripped me off for the last time. Oh. Uh, so um, they were making so much money. And Lazrado as well. And Lazrado, this is the big detail on him. So these other guys were all around and they were working together and then apart. But Lazrado, and, and you know him as a pink mansion guy, but mm. um, he had a, at the height of Lazrado's sort of like money, he had, he had a 
half a million dollar black Lamborghini Diablo driving around Brisbane with a number plate insane. <laughs> right? Fuck yeah, brother. Sick. That's sick. This guy, he rubs shoulders. There's a photo of him with Bill Clinton. He's like, it's oh something. Yeah. Um, he On ran, the Epstein plane? He see. ran 200 uh, individual adult websites. At his peak, he was worth, his net worth was 60 million bucks. This Christ. was um, Lazrado. Wow. And, uh, and he said, at various stages along the way, I owned four Lamborghinis, seven BMWs. Um, he made so much money and he was flashing around. He got extorted by some like fruit market type dodgy okay, yeah. gangsters, mm -hmm. whatever we want to call them in Australia, underbelly, right? So mm -hmm. he went to the police, the cops organized a sting, and then he backed out at the last minute because he was like, I don't know if they got to him or not. But then apparently the underbelly series went to interview him about it all and get all the details to part as a plot line for one of the underbellies. And he was like, I don't want it bring up that old stuff so he was really in deep with some wrong wow. guys yeah and then so there have you seen the mansion like is it still up is yeah. it like there, there's a couple of pink mansions in brisbane they're like kind of like landmarks there's one in norman park on the water that's like i don't think it was his but it's been like a bit St. lucia wow. yeah lucia. His, yeah his is in a different spot but yeah it's just like these kind of like iconic pink mansions like in, on the river uh the one in st lucia is in, uh, yeah it's cool I'm but see and this. this that pink mansion had had been hosted Host, not by him after before he bought it, but had hosted parties with like Bruce Springsteen, Elton John, Cher. Oh, like it was cool. like a celebrity hub cool. thing. So he bought it for like ten million bucks, and and he was known as yeah. And they were like porn baron, porn mogul, Lazarado. Anyway, the, the the money they still got heaps of cash, but Visa and Mastercard start getting savvy because all these people are trying to cancel their bills and cancel stuff, and it's costing everyone to they're called chargebacks and. ISPs are getting savvy on the spamming and the hosting and the all it starts getting more complicated or more competition in the US. So money starts dropping off. Um, Lazarado also got in trouble for the FTC, like the Americans FTC. What he did, what he was involved with was he duplicated all these legitimate websites like, you know, like, uh, you know, like a local park and like a restaurant and all this stuff and duplicated all the websites and made all the content. So when you searched like local park, it came up and one of his sites was there. And when you clicked it, it immediately forwarded you to a porn site. Yeah, it's Dan nice. Ninen style, right? Yeah. Because he used to have like Russell Peters, but with like one of the SSILs oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. removed and it would go to Dan Ninen and be like, his opener, yeah. you can book it. <laughs> it was like, yeah, Dan Ninen to Russell Peters is as far away from park to pornography. <laughs> <you know>? like, <laughs> so, to some people, his stuff is very erotic. Yeah. So then he, <laughs> they also disabled the back button and the mouse. So people were just stuck looking at porn. <laughs> oh my God. Some mum who's trying to go to a park with her children. Fuck, I mean, yeah. that explains so much. Like, I mean, like, I've heard that porn in the 90s and early 2000s, like, was plagued by, like, pop-ups and pop -ups stuff. Pop-ups, yeah, right. So, like, I've heard this mm -hmm. second, third hand. But, like, you know, <laughs> like, you'd click on one thing and then suddenly, like, your screen would allegedly be flooded with okay. stuff and everyone would think you had a virus and your parents would get very mad at you. Parents would think of, you're some kind of sex maniac. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know anything <laughs> Just about because it. I wanted to look up my local park. Yeah. yeah. Just trying to find a place for a picnic and now you're getting <laughs> sent to a pray the gay away camp. <laughs> a bunch of strange windows <laughs> up. You just weren't even looking for. No, no. So, um, yeah, so then he, uh, so look, 2003... Um, he, he's caught with an unlicensed semi-automatic handgun. 
Hey. Hey. Everyone's getting Bruce. He's got a gun. Nice. He's living the dream. <laughs> because of the extortion attempt, he's three. His marriage collapsed. He loses money in divorce. He gets addicted to heroin. He lost. Ah, buddy. He lost a million dollars on the outcome of the 2003 Rugby World Cup final. He's betting all his money. All right, that's, oh, that's the one that. <laughs> 2004, police were called to Brisbane's Botanical Gardens after passers-by found Lazarado sleeping in the front seat of his Lamborghini with the engine still running and several hundred thousand dollars on the passenger seat. Jesus. <laughs> And, they was, and he says, what can I say? I had a really big day at the casino. <laughs> oh, yes. Pretty cool, that to be honest. Pretty, oh, man. That and the height of that. And the, so the ATO were after him for five million bucks. And in 2008, in this article, he says, up to five years ago, I was living every man's dream. Um, I'd wake up um, on a day like today, have lunch, buy a car, head to the airport, and be in another country by close of play. I was convinced it would last forever. Now I've lost the plot. If you were to turn me upside down, 10 cents would not fall out of my pockets. Which Jeez. could be true or could be I've scrolled it all away so people don't, my yeah, bitch yeah, ex-wife yeah, yeah. doesn't get it in the totally. ATO. So who knows? 60 know, million. He doesn't to- strike me as a squirreler. I think <laughs> he's just like fucking, you know, big money play. Big money day. play. I'm assuming, yeah, exactly. I mean, you'd. Betting a million dollars on a fucking game. You're not like putting money in your superannuation, right? against the Harlem Globetrotters. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the end for him is he um, he caused an accident while driving high on drugs and a woman got really injured and he sentenced to jail. So that's Jeez. the lightest with him. Uh, Scott Phillips, which I said earlier, he was one of those guys who was doing some bad stuff. He um, had a bit of a spiral too. and His house was broken into by some associates. Um, after all the money fell out of it. He was in Bali on holiday. He flew back, found the guy where he worked at a local Coles that he, that he knew robbed his house, bonked him over the head, carried him out over his shoulder, took him to his place, made him call the other guy to come over. The other guy turns up, bonks him over the head, ties <laughs> him up, nice. tortures, tortures him for three days. I like Holy the bonk. Three days. Tortures him for, for three days, then drops him off at the local police station. He's high on crystal meth the entire time. He he says, I seriously thought I would drop them off and they would like give me an award for catching the criminals. <laughs> <laughs> so these guys have a broken bones and he's like, here you go. I've done your job for you, dirty oh, cops. Man. So he gets in a lot of trouble for that. And uh, Atherton, the guy at the start, the the, the uh, mm-hmm. farm sex guy, he, he uh, the porn runs out. He doesn't have like a big spiral like... The other guys, but he gets into apps and he invents an app called iWobble, <laughs> which is uh, okay. It's a very early iPhone app. It's which, no farmsex.com, it's but no I'm farms, Well, you can, you can upload you can upload a horse on it if you want. So what you do is you upload a picture of a woman, generally, or a, or a, or a mare, or a I guess, mm-hmm. uh, a female horse. No, uh, a, so, uh, a, a filly. Uh, no, but generally, it, you know the the. Emo image that they do in the demo is a woman with some breasts with a bikini and you can like click on the body what part you want to wobble <laughs> and then you shake the phone and the bits wobble and it's called I wobble and it's so much funny to do with a dude if anyone if anyone wants to look up the YouTube video of Athen doing a demonstration of I wobble it's hilariously pathetic um, I mean rule, like do you remember like the first iPhone apps like my yeah, my yeah. friend to like demonstrate how cool the iPhone was had that beer one yeah Yeah. where it's like a full beer and you go like you tip it and then the beer goes and and look what it can do mm -hmm. this guy now it's like i can uh I can, can transfer money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You can hold your phone up and it translates like live signage yeah, and yeah. shit. Yeah. yeah. yeah hold your phone up and it make that chick's boob jiggle. You <laughs> know, like that. But you can't get it to emulate a lighter anymore. Uh, that's mm. a shame. So iWobble cost $2 US and sold a million copies. Jesus oh, Christ. Mostly in Japan. It's, it's, it's <laughs> yeah, because as a side note, I love Japan and like the main loop of Japan, uh, like the train line loop is 
awesome and it's very convenient. But there's one district in Japan that's pretty famous. It's called Akihabara. It's where all the uh, like anime nerds go, and it's got a lot, a lot of made cafes, a lot of technology and stuff. All these stations, like very cool, very crowded, very efficient, and there's you know like. 10 15 of them akihabara is the only one that has like multiple signs being like do not take upskirt photos of the women <laughs> on the escalators <laughs> Jesus oh, and they're fucking everywhere <laughs> i went to this, i went to design school with a japanese guy and his phone uh anytime it took the photo it would do the shutter noise yeah and that's like, i think that's the law in japan yeah it has to yeah he, and i was like well you, well you can't turn that off and he's like japanese phone and i'm like what does that mean and he's like well, it's upskirting such a major problem over there that Fucking all hell. the phones can't have the shutter. Yeah. Oh, God damn, dude. that's so weird. Um, they, should, like, they should replace the shutter noise with like a big honking horn or something. You know? <laughs> 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 You're taking a photo of your children at home. Upskirt alert. It sounds Jesus. too insane. It sounds too insane. That's crazy. That that's the be. solution. But yeah. um, so, and then uh, in 2000, so he makes money off that. He makes some other stupid apps. 2019, he launches Brisbane Gin Distillery, which is a thing in the West End. Is West End? What's yeah. the West? Yeah. yeah. I was going to say West, West Bank. Bank. <laughs> I was going to say. Yeah, <laughs> very, uh, yeah. Very ambitious business plan. Uh, but, and then uh, COVID happens and it goes bankrupt. So last news of Atherton. But he was, the, you know, and they all, all the things they porn Baron um, launches gin distillery, Brisbane's first gin distillery. So he's still active. He's still out there. And then um, the final one, Dean Shannon, the general from the start. So he's got an interesting story because like I said he was the one who everyone was like, he's pretty legit. He was the original guy. Two th- by 2000, he, I think he can smell um, the way, you know, everything's going. And so he goes, you know what, I'm sort of, I don't know about this. So he starts getting out of the porn business. He uh, sells his porn empire to adultshop.com for 12 million bucks right he then founds a list of companies because he's an internet genius Uh, he understands the net he's got all these domain names 50 500,000 domain names he's acquired right and all very like short and like you know no one was getting domains then so right so he gets this massive portfolio which like when you go to i don't know tree.com it then just goes advertising or whatever. And so he's making money off the ads, but then he also sells every time a new company comes online, target.com, I have to buy it from him. He makes all this money and then he sells that company for 55 million bucks. Jeez. He then in 2012, he launches bookmaker.com.au, right? Which he sells to Ladbrokes in 2000, a year later for 22 million bucks. So he makes right. 22 million bucks in a year. He becomes a CEO of Ladbrokes Australia till 2017. He leaves Ladbrokes Australia in 2017 and launches Ned do- Neds.com.au. Oh, He's the founder of Neds. Take it to the Neds level. Take it to the Neds level. Wow. That's, that's Dean Shannon. 2017, he sells it in 2018, once again to Ladbrokes for $68 million. Christ, this God damn, is, what a fucking streak. He yeah. then becomes the Australian CEO of Ladbrokes, which he still is today. Jeez. And he's trying to get, and so he is, and and like literally all the articles about him because they're talking about uh, online gambling reform, mm. and and the CEO is called Entain, which owns Ladbroke, Sporting Bet, Party Poker, all these things, and they're like, uh, CEO of Entain is not attending, and it always says former porn mogul, and he's just <laughs> you can tell this guy like fucking hell, <laughs> trying to leave that. Jeez, I make on. one fucking porno site in the nineties, <laughs> you know, but um, yeah, the general's still killing it. Right? All right, so they're all he really earned his title. Yeah, 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 he's absolutely. the one. The and, and there's all these internet sites where there's gossip about porn when you find these guys, like about information. Every single one is like, 
the general was legit. He didn't do anything wrong. He was a fucking everyone who talks to him and all the other guys the dodgiest. Yeah, everyone's slurring him. And yeah. must have been a great research for those stories. Mm. Yeah, my inner history is disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to nuke a lot it of really breaks. bad. A lot of breaks in that research. Maybe yeah. a few tissues in the bin too. Um, I suppose the last two don't make uh, sense. No, we don't. So, what are you plugging? Anything? Uh, Chloe's got a good podcast. Yeah, called check the it friend out. request. Um, I quite like uh, the Sure Thing podcast with Andrew Wolf and Josh Armstrong. That's oh, a really good great one podcast. too. Great podcast. Great fellas. I reckon you should get around those. I don't really have much going on. Sweet. Uh, but you can follow me on Instagram. And You gigging much? A little bit. Like I said earlier, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to – I realized like all my material was just about how I'd gotten fat. And I was like, this fucking sucks. <laughs> mm. I'm fucking fat. <laughs> <laughs> so now I've just been working out like crazy instead of gigging so I can come back – and be like, I used to be. A <laughs> 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 That's my favorite material to do is the the the, the after. You know, yeah, you never yeah. want to be the. Bef- oh, you never want to be for the before photo. Totally. Mm. Um, yeah, that was fun, guys. I, I I'm sorry I didn't contribute that much. No, you did absolutely. I, I had a guy tell me a story about um, organized crime and how he used to work for a front. Oh, Ooh. cool. But he was like, oh, I don't think you can really share this a little too detail. But essentially, worked for a restaurant. And uh, around the Fitzgerald inquiry thing, kind oh. of thing, I think around that kind of thing, and mm. he he found a like a, a casino in behind like some fucking crates, yeah, essentially yeah. like a hidden room that oh, was that's like a fully sick. stocked casino and stuff like that. They were big, the old that illegal casino old scenes. Rules. Yeah, and he so told it to us. his boss, and he was like, "You didn't tell me that. You didn't tell me that, and we don't even know what's down there. You should shut the." Fuck up right now. Oh, that's so cool. That's movie. I did see some other stuff on like maybe we can do a Patreon one day, get Jacob back to do some more like risque stuff. But there was a lot of like yeah. a lot of like there's a Godfrey's in uh this uh, that no one's ever there. There's all these cars out the front of people, but there's it's never open mm. and that, that everyone's sus on. There's all these rumors of Brisbane dodging. Actually, stuff. famous Australian fronts could probably like I yeah. bet you'd find some stuff. Yeah, like, yeah totally. Absolutely. Couple around here. Yeah, <laughs> don't want to talk about. <laughs> Every time I try and bring it up on other podcasts, it's like shut the fuck up. <laughs> what are they gonna do? I'm not scared of the Portuguese. <laughs> <laughs> A Porto, we got you. Know. <laughs> All right, All thanks right, so much, guys. Jacob. Thanks everyone. See you. Uh, uh, we oh. should plug the fact that we have a Patreon. We just yeah. kind of mentioned it, but $5 a month gets you two bonus episodes a month. They are red hot episodes. Get into that. Follow us on social media. Instagram is where you can probably find us the most. Send us messages. We love hearing from you. Apart from that, red hot, a lot of fun. Thanks, See everyone. you next week. Bye. Bye.